I mean, you, you're pretty handsy. I mean, besides, like, hooking up. I think he meant handy, system. ladies. I am not handsy. The only one I'm handsy <laughs> for is my wife. Thank you very much. <laughs> I mean, I remember as a kid, you built us a treehouse. That was really awesome. That, I'm, that I'm handy, but I'm not mechanical, though. Um, with, like, you know, like a car or something like that. I, I never was really good with that. But, yeah, the rest of it, I, I, could, you know, I could do some stuff. Yeah, you can do some stuff. I can do some stuff. I wanted to talk about, because we've been alluding to it since the end of last episode, uh, what happened in Cleveland. Tell me all about it. So we had a great time. So we drove. And I haven't driven a car in a year because that's what you get to do when you live in the middle of downtown Chicago. How was that driving a car for the first time after a year? Uh, <laughs> so when we went to go pick up the car, it was noon-ish here in downtown Chicago. And the... The, the car rental place is also in downtown. So basically I walked from work. I went a couple of blocks and we went to this garage where they, where they keep the rental cars and, you know, we rented the car and went through the whole process. So we probably got out of there about 1230 and wow, there are a lot of people taking lunch in downtown Chicago. So it takes me 15 minutes to walk from work to my home which is about a half a mile as the crow flies. But if I go above ground, you got traffic lights and stuff and traffic. And if I go underground, it, it's more convoluted. So it works out to be about 15 minute walk. And it took me the same amount of time to drive a car that distance because of the traffic and the people. And it was crazy. Uh, and my head was on a swivel and there's just so, it's so different driving down here than it was in Ardmore, Oklahoma. But I made it. It was no big deal. Um, we went home, loaded up the car, hit the road, paid $30 in tolls to get to Cleveland. Oh, man. Well, why'd you take the tollway? Well, it's an hour longer if you, if you try to avoid the tolls to get to, to Cleveland, so Ohio. So I figure an hour of my time and $30, well, it works out to be about what I used to make. So, But there were two <laughs> of us, so then that breaks it down to $15 an hour. And, uh, yeah, it was, just, it was just simpler. The toll roads are, are smoother, not as trafficy. You're probably safer type thing. We got there. Uh, Carrie had us a room. Carrie, my wife, Got us a room at a renaissance there in downtown Cleveland, right next to, I'm gonna say Jack's Casino, I think was the name of it. The hotel was gorgeous on the inside. You could tell it's getting a little bit old, but it's, it's supposed to be being refurbished, but it has that really kind of old, cool vibe to it. And it's huge and really nice, but wow, the casino right next door brings a certain element of sketchiness to the area. But then just like a block and a half off, 
there's this really cool, neat section of restaurants that's Fourth uh, Street or something like that. Uh, that reminded me very much of Austin. Super nice, super cool. We left the next day. We went down to Canton, Ohio, to, for the Football Hall of Fame game. Uh, Canton is a small town feel with the NFL's marquee destination smack dab in the middle of it for some reason. Wow. It was probably like because it's out in the middle of nowhere and it's probably really cheap land to build on. I guess so. You know, when you see it on the TV, they are very judicious with their camera shots uh, when they are uh, showing, like, if you go back and watch, watch the game, it's a whole weekend of the, the Hall of Fame and the, you know, getting the guys inducted and all that. If you look at the camera shots, you'd think you were in the middle of Chicago or something, and there's just this awesome this and that, and the museum and the stadium and all that, and it's really not that at all. It's a very small town kind of feel to it. We parked like out in the grass, and they shuttled us back to the place. It was crazy, but it's, it's very nice, and I think they've got some, some plans to really make it even nicer, you know, water parks and crazy stuff like that so oh i imagine the tax revenue on it alone is probably doing wonders for the economy in that local area i yeah i would think so it's you know it's kind of like the the windstar casino in thackerville oklahoma kind of thing oh yeah between texas and oklahoma there is a casino right on the edge of oklahoma i I think if you were to exit you could probably just go exit one between one exit one or five now yeah, so you can, I mean, you can get on the edge. And that's because I believe gambling in Texas is illegal. But, of course, the Windstar is owned by the Chickasaw Nation in Oklahoma. So that, that's no problems. Yep, it is the, actually, it's the largest casino in the world. If I'm not I don't mistaken. Have, it's, uh, it's pretty big. Going through it is overloading to the senses. I mean, for, for those that have never looked it up, I mean, each there's like, uh, I think so far they have like five sections that are all uh, destination themed. You have like this one area that's inspired by uh, Asian culture and it has like the, the dragon. So basically it just looks like it's Chinese New Year in that one section. And then there's like a Roman section and a section I think that's based on the uh, the the roman empire maybe i don't know it's just there's a lot. i don't know there's it's, a lot it's to crazy look. but it's huge and it's, it's 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 crazy too because i i when i worked for ups i used to deliver to thackerville when it was when it was tiny and the casino wasn't even a casino it was just a uh, a place to go play bingo and now <laughs> it is the uh, you know it's like the literally the largest casino in the world if that hasn't been surpassed here in recent days in, in terms of square footage i guess they have hotels they have you know, a golf course it's it's insane they have they i'm they paid for their own exit and entrance off of i35 there's a uh, two water towers there to service the casino when Thackerville barely had its own tiny little water tower for all the people that lived there. And now they've got these two yeah. regular sized water towers just to service the casinos and the hotels. So, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. And speaking of those exits, immaculate architecture, the, 
the mural that they have on, on the sides of the entrance and exit on I think it's exit five there. It's way nicer than than anything you'd see. Like, yeah, normally going a little bit. Yeah, for our infrastructure. Yeah. yeah, they 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 went all out. You see that in a lot of other places, but not in Oklahoma. Oklahoma bare bones the infrastructure. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, they really really need to redo the the highways going yeah. into OKC. It's it's terrible. Um. So but, back to Cleveland because we got way off track there. Yes. Um. So the one other cool wait wait a different state with the letter starting yeah. with O going back to Ohio. Correct. <laughs> um. We went to the we we took a day to stroll around. We we took a boat. Like a ferry? Uh, yeah, like a tour boat type thing. They have them in Chicago that go down the river, you know, to hold. Oh, yeah, like uh, like San Yeah, yeah, it holds three or 400 people. It's got a little bar down there. It was very inexpensive. It took us up the, uh, the river inside Cleveland. It was awesome. Which river is that? Is that the, is it the Mississippi? Uh, no, it's, I don't know, whatever the local river there was. Don't get me in line, dude. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, but you're going up this river. Yeah, and it was it was nice. You got to see all the sections, and they're you know they're building things. That, you know, very much like if anyone's ever been to Chicago, we have a river walk down here, and uh, you know it's used as a tourist destination, and that's kind of you know basically what what Cleveland is attempting to do, and and doing very well at it. Their waterways are Cleveland is a, a an industrial town, so their waterways are actually used for things uh, and it's the Cuyahoga River and they have a, a section over there where they've got restaurants and stuff like that but we were at one of the restaurants and this just ginormous ship that almost filled up the entire river just comes cruising through there uh, <laughs> while we were eating dinner one night and I mean there was barely room on either side for it for other boats to go past it or to wait for it or whatever it was crazy. Oh, we saw that. Uh, we did the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is fantastic. You've done that, so you know uh, how cool that is. Oh, yeah, even just going into the build, so awesome. Whatever that is in the front of it, uh, they use the glass to kind of give it a very modern, angular feel. Yes. Really cool. Yeah, it's, and it's deceptively larger than it looks from the outside, too, because it just looks like, you know, oh, it's not that big, but... It really is quite huge. It really is. And in, in the context of me going to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I remember it being a couple of years back while I was still in college. Uh, it was me and like five of my friends. We drove from Oklahoma, uh, Ada, where my, my college was at, uh, all the way up to Washington, D.C., uh, that's a 22-hour car ride if you don't stop. So obviously we had to stop for <laughs> gas, and uh, there was there was definitely a lot of breaks to fill up on gas and to pee and to get food, and it ended up taking closer to like 24, 26 hours. Uh, I think we we tried to drive in shifts. So I, I remember at one point I woke up and they were like, "Yeah, we went the wrong way for about an hour or two, so we're going back now." I'm like, "Oh my, really?" So. <laughs> We get to Washington, D.C., we go around all the, the big hot spots. We couldn't go into the, the Washington Memorial because it was under construction at the time. 
uh, we did get to go to the the Lincoln Memorial, the Smithsonian Museum, uh, a couple other places right there. Got to see the the White House from very very far away. And we drove to Cleveland. That's about a twelve hour, I think, it's eight or twelve hour uh, drive. And I drove the whole way. I, I remember doing that because I felt bad because we on the first drive and it was pretty brutal so I, I went ahead and just drove the whole way there it only took a day and and yeah just getting to see that after driving for like 12 hours getting to see that building and it was just it was everything I wanted it to be in the, in this big city with just I, I remember there being a very huge hill trying to get to this place and just then just coming over the hill and getting to see that it was just so awesome yeah the bridges there are are crazy they they don't like in Chicago, so on our river, the the bridges, uh, they open up. They you know they at the middle, and they open up the way you would think a normal bridge does. A drawbridge, yeah, yeah, a drawbridge. In Cleveland, their bridges, the whole bridge, it's like a big square, and it just both sides go up at the same time. And it's all connected. It doesn't stop. It's oh, it's hard to explain. It's like an erector set that just the whole damn thing just just moves up. It doesn't split in half. It's just it's connected on both sides, and it just raises up. The boats go underneath it, and then it lowers back down. Whether it's a road or a railroad or whatever, it's got these big huge weights on it. It's really neat. Man, I don't remember that part uh, visiting. There. I'm gonna have to look that up because that does sound amazing. Yeah, so, was, tell me about going inside because I I think I remember the stuff that they had on display. I think they might have had like an old I don't know whose uh, set it was. I want to say it was maybe Led Zeppelin, but maybe I'm wrong. But they had this double bass kit where they had because uh, it was it was two different bass drums, which is for anybody that plays drums, that's the ultimate the classic sound. And you're willing to spend the time making sure that they're both tuned correctly at the at the same tautness on both sides of the head. I mean, that's already ridiculous. And then on top of that, I think the one that they had on display was a full white kit with like, a, I want to say it was like some sort of accordion uh, sort of plastic rubber, probably mixture that was making the drum go out. Oh, man, it had to have been with that uh, accordion kind of connection all together had to be at least like six feet of, of depth. You just oh, that? I know what. Yeah. I remember seeing that. Oh, right. I don't know who set that was. I know they rotate some of the uh, displays in and out, but I do remember. Yeah. Yeah. It was a six foot long bass drum because it was connected, you know, it was a regular bass and then they had like an extension on the end of it. Oh, it looked just so amazing. It was slightly insane. Yeah, um, when we got there, there was there was a guy that playing outside. I think he was the drummer of the year in two thousand and seventeen. Whoever that happens to be, you'll have to look him up. Uh, he came out and huh, drummer of the year. Yeah, drummer of the year in two thousand and seventeen. I, I he said his name. He said the name of the bands he's played with and the name of the band that he's in. And he was, he was an excellent drummer. He was absolutely phenomenal drummer. Uh, he could have almost as been as good as you uh, could have been. Uh, 
But <laughs> it was hilarious, though, because he, he got up on stage. There were two drum sets up there. And he got behind this kit, and he basically he plugged his iPad or his iPod into uh, the stereo system and played along to music. I was like, well, shit, I do that. Yeah, he play, that's how he I pl- feel. <laughs> he played, I don't know, four or five songs. Uh, and I don't know they were all necessarily from, you know, from his band, per se. They might have been. I didn't know the guy and I didn't know the bands because I'm old and so I don't keep up with that anymore. And then he did a little slow solo for like you know, two or three minutes or whatever time it was. And uh, don't get me wrong, dude had skills. And then he talked about it for a little bit. And then when he actually walked into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I guess he had his drum set, oh, one of the drum sets he had donated uh, that was on display at the, at the very, very front uh, when you walked in and you were getting your tickets and that kind of stuff. And then, and then, yeah, you went to the wrestling museum and there, you know, Michael Jackson's gold glove and all the other s- stuff you expect to see at the rock and roll hall of fame. But I tell you what, the best time I had at the entire place was at the Hilton hotel. They've got a, <laughs> there's a Hilton that's close to the water. Uh, it was about a half mile from our hotel. It was just down the street from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The architecture of the building was awesome. It was an all-glass building, but at the top, it flared out. It looked like, you know, the Leaning Tower of Pisa, but just at the top. And you can see from the from the street even that they had some sort of rooftop-type thing going on. It wasn't actually at the top. It was, like, cut into the side of the building. Carrie and I went up there. They had, uh, it was a bar up there. You could get, you know, some food and some drinks and uh, lots of people there having a great time. And you had this fantastic view of Lake Erie and the drinks were inexpensive and the food was delicious. And uh, it was a heck of a thing. Uh, Probably uh, for anyone that's listening, rooftops are like a big deal in Chicago because everyone loses their mind in the winter so when you can actually go outside and eat uh, outside, a rooftop view is, woohoo, it's a big deal. And for us to go there and for them to have that view, was, it was incredible. And we had a great time. That sounds awesome. To go back yeah. to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, though, I mean, did you, do you remember going into the Beatles room? Wow, there was so much. We went into every place that was in there. Oh, this, it wasn't the Beatles room. It was the 70s room. Yeah, but they had like a whole section for the Beatles. They had all of their costumes from Sgt. Pepper's. Out. Well, yeah, because it was Sgt. Pepper's. Yeah. Or, uh, well, maybe it was late 60s. I don't you know, whatever, whatever room that was. Yeah. I mean, well, they, they definitely, they divided it up chronologically for sure. Like one of the coolest things uh, was that even though it's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, they did like the history of music in, in 19... 2030s area you know they even mentioned the ink spots which is this really nice kind of uh kind of classic jazzy kind of band that they said influenced music they even have like a a section that um closer to like the 90s music where they have an honorable mention of eminem because of course he has a lot of elements of uh, rock music and a lot of his more popular songs and and he oh yeah they went yeah they go right up to to modern times oh yeah they yeah. even one of the coolest parts, though, my favorite part of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and it's and it's weird being you'd think that as a drummer, maybe I like one of the 
the drum things. And although I think the year that I went was like 2013 or 2014, it was whatever year that Rush got uh, inducted into the Rock and the Hall of Fame, which I was super excited about. And they had their names, of course, because every person that's inducted gets to have their signature in that wall of uh, in the wall of fame. And right. They had a special section for new inductees. So they had like Neil Pert's, uh, Neil Pert Paragon clockwork angel symbol with the decal on it and all this stuff. And it's, it was so awesome. And you'd think I'd like that. And you'd think I'd like uh, maybe like ZZ Top's furry drum set, which was in there when I went, which was really It cool. was, it's still there now. That was cool. <laughs> my, one of my favorite exhibits was the Jimi Hendrix section where they had his family couch. It was the couch that he sat on and he listened to the radio and he just played guitar along with the radio. And that's how he learned to play guitar. Never learned how to read music, didn't know anything about keys and, and, and time and everything else. He just, he just learned it on the spot left-handed. So like he just took a right-hand guitar and was playing it upside down on his family's couch. And they have that in the museum. It's just so amazing to me. Wow, that's pretty cool. I did not know that. And you were there. This goes to show that for anybody who is thinking about going to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, do yourself a favor. Book yourself a trip. Not only is Ohio apparently a really nice place that has rivers and hotels that you can go to on the balconies, but you can also go see the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> that's a hoot. Yeah, it was... I do, you know, I remember the Jimi Hendrix, but there's so much stuff there. You, if you can go there and just. You can be there all day if you wanted. I think we did the tour in like two or three hours and we were like, all right, guys. Because I remember we had to like go back because, of course, in, in a lot of the rooms, they'll have like a TV going and they'll have like, not necessarily a documentary, but kind of like a. Yeah further explanation of the pieces that they have on display and the, and the genre of music, or at least the, the time frame in which that music came out, what their influence was on music. And I remember yes. we had, we had to go back and they were all in the Beatles room. Maybe that's why it sticks out in my head so much. And we were like, all right, come on guys, let's, let's go ahead. Let's, let's see what else they got. And then at the end, the gift shop is so cool. That's where I got one of my 45s of Frank Sinatra for my record player. I, I think it's the only 45 I really have. I never, I never, I'm not one of those people that really gets to go and raid a mom and pop record store, but that was something that was really cool at the very end that they, that they had that you could go through and, and look at different 45s and full records, just the full size. Um, yeah. Really, really neat. <laughs> I went and got a magnet for my fridge. You got a magnet? Well, yeah, you guys don't have a record player, so that makes sense. You wouldn't get one. Uh, we get magnets of everywhere we go, but I, dude, I, we spent six hours there, and I still, I mean, you could spend two days there if you were, if you're a real rock and roll audiophile type person, you could easily spend two days there. Oh yeah, you could make a whole weekend out of it. Yeah, you you absolutely could. So I don't know. I uh, you know I love music too, but. I like hearing it and playing it, and uh, I knew as much as I enjoyed my uh, my visit there. I, I can tell you this: Rush not being the inductee this this year, the only thing that they had about Rush was their plaques. 
the section where they they put the actual and where they had the brass plaques of them. Of yeah, bands, that's the only thing I saw that had Rush on it at all. So I was a little disappointed on that. Uh, it took forever to get them inducted. Of course, you have to wait like 25 years to see whether or not your music still has an impact on people. And it obviously did. Oh, yeah. When I went, like I said, they had had one of Neil Peart's bandanas that he wore while he played. They they, they had a, a nice little display. I really wish you could have seen it. That had to be the year. I remember you uh, taking me to my first and and only Rush concert that I've ever been to. One one of the, actually the few concerts that I've actually been to that was like a full on legit concert. That was so much fun. I remember us driving all the way to Kansas City because that's where they were playing at the time. It was oh, that's when we went with Isaac. Yeah, we went with Isaac. We went with Lewis Key, and if they're listening, that's going to be funny. <laughs> we went up to Kansas City and it was it was right after graduation. I remember that. And we all went and we all got matching hoodies cuz they were selling Clockwork Angel hoodies and I remember before the before the concert even started, I remember we were walking around. I think we went out to eat. We were just like just just milling around until the actual concert started and then I think it was Lewis Key was the one that was like, "Let's go get Stogies." Is what he called them. <laughs> it's like let's go yeah. get cigars, and we went. We went to this bar. They they sold cigars. I don't know how much we paid for them, but we paid for them. And we're we were getting in line, and I think I'm putting mine out. I think I'm about halfway through mine. I'm like I'm gonna save this for later till after the concert. And I don't I don't remember what Lewis did, but I remember Isaac was like, oh man, like because we were we we're getting pretty close to the front of the line, and he knew he couldn't smoke inside the facility. So he tried to, he like choked down that cigar and he smoked it way too quick. We got up to the front of the line. You remember this? He was like pale white, almost green in the face. We get inside yeah. and he just pukes all over in the bathroom. Yep. But then, I, but then we ended up having a really nice time. It was a very small blip in the whole, the whole ordeal. And we got to see Rush live, which was so awesome it was something that i always wanted to do that was a good concert too oh my gosh that was it was such a good concert i i really enjoyed it it was the the light show was great the the pacing was great there was a solo that neil pert did that i've never heard before it was just it was i was so overwhelmed the whole time that i almost couldn't enjoy it because it was just it was everything that i ever wanted and I was, it was happening so quick that I just, I wanted to relish in it forever. And it lasted two hours, but it just, it, it went by also so quick, I guess, just because I enjoyed it so much. It was great. Have you seen any of the documentaries? Did you, you know, if you go back in the day when Rush was, was first starting to, uh, you know, do their thing, they backed up um, Kiss. Yeah, I remember watching, I, I think it was, oh man, I, I don't remember which one I was watching, which documentary, but I remember I watched it on Blu-ray because I got it when I worked at Hastings. They It was one of those things that I guess got into the used pile. Someone traded that in. It was a piece of gold. I don't know why they got rid of it, but yeah. <laughs> well, and what, what, what was funny was when I was at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I noticed that uh, Kiss got inducted after Rush did. Well, yeah, because I think Rush actually opened for Kiss. They did. 
Yeah, they, back yeah, in the they day. Were, they were opening for them, and, and KISS was much more popular way back in the day. But it's so, and the other part of that story is one of the drums that they actually had, one of the drum sets, drum kits that they actually had out, you know, like behind um, glass where you couldn't actually touch it, was one of Kiss's drum sets. Um, I forget uh, the drummer's name, Chris Paul, or but I would. Could you imagine if you could see Neil Peart's drum set from the uh, Exit Stage Left tour, the one that had the the bells behind it, uh, or not bells? Uh, if you've ever seen that kit, to have seen that live would have been awesome. Oh, I mean, I would die. I would just die right there, uh, and I would die happy. It would just be such a great time. If you go on DW's website, because he's, of course, one of their artists that they sponsor. And if you want to, you can order his set. You can go in there and it will show you exactly what he has. All the dimensions for all the shells, all of the symbols. It'll show you exactly what his set is like. And it is just, I remember being in high school and, and looking that up and just being like, oh man, I wish I had set because it just had so much <laughs> nice stuff. And I wish I had $20,000. Oh, right. Yeah, of course, because it was way out of anyone's price range, any any reasonable person, except for, I guess, maybe like Terry Fazio. But <laughs> that's about it. Uh, him and, I guess, Mike Portnoy. Mike Portnoy, I think he has like a replica set of, of Rush's drum set back when it had the traditional bell and the gong and the timpanis, I think, in the background. Yeah. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Mike Portnoy, really great musician. Uh, the, uh, on YouTube, he has this drum solo. The, he plays the drum solo from the, the YYZ um, interlude that he does on like one of those tours back in the day. I mean, he plays it note for note. It is crazy how accurate he is. I mean, it, it sounds like the original recording, but it's, it's, not, it's not Neil Peart. It's Mike Portnoy. And th that's kind of a sad thing for individual musicians, because, of course, if you're if you're getting inductions to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, for the most part, you're you're in a group of some sort. I think it's very rare that you get inducted or even mentioned uh, as a singular person. Like even uh, I'm pretty sure that Eminem's mentioned in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was also alongside Dr. Dre and, and the fact that they collaborated on on the on the things that they worked on that that made him have an impact on the industry. But uh, it seems like, I don't know, it, it's kind of sad that individual musicians like Mike Portnoy or, or maybe some other studio musicians that are really, really good may never really get inducted into the Hall of Fame just because they didn't tour on the world stage. Yeah, I mean, it's, well, you, you know, you've got to have a broad impact on the industry. Yeah, and there are several individuals that have made it in the Hall of Fame, but they're the Michael Jacksons or the John Cougar Mellencamps or the those type of people, usually the front man for, you know, Aretha Franklin. I'm, I'm sure she was in there. Hank Williams Jr. Or, or Hank Williams Sr., those type of people. Oh, yeah. Speaking of Aretha Franklin, I guess we should talk about that since when we're recording this, uh, Aretha Franklin yeah, died she today. Did. Very sad. What was her title? Queen of Soul, like I think. Yeah, no, that sounds way more <laughs> accurate. 
Honestly, though, I, I haven't listened. I, I, I didn't know much about well, it. Well, it's so way, way, way before your time. Heck, even I, Aretha Franklin, I didn't know who the heck she was until I watched the Blues Brothers for the first time, and I was probably watching a rerun. <laughs> and I'm pushing 50. I mean, really, really, really oh, pushing 50. So, you know. You're talking about that Dan Aykroyd movie? Yes, the Blues Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness yeah you gotta go way way back and I mean even then she wasn't she was past that time of, of doing the things that made her the most popular I think already so you know other than for people that, that grew up in that era that still listen to that type of music yeah well I mean there's a difference between being popular and being I want to say influential and long lasting. Oh yeah. Because Rush definitely wasn't popular. No. Not at all. But the 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 influence that they had on the industry and the and the lasting I want to say musicianship on a lot of their songs cuz you can definitely in, in a lot of the stuff that I would say anything beyond I want to say earlier than 1960 kind of you can hear it not just in the sound quality but just in the the style of the song it was it was all influenced and it was not i'm not saying original i want to say more so just still within its time but rush i feel like transcends kind of the era that they were in obviously they were heavily influenced by a lot of the technology that was revolutionary at the time the synthesizers and everything else but it just it's it's still good music, not just and and again, not even just quality, just in the the fact that the the amount of time, the amount of effort that they put into making it sound the way that it sounds, yeah, and and it's just so good. Well, and I, and I want you to think about it this way too. So, what ten years ago they went to Rio, and they packed like a hundred thousand people in a stadium, right? Right. So, now I'm a big Ario Speedwagon fan. I, I love their stuff ever since I was little. They're still playing too, and they go places and they'll draw in four or five thousand people, uh, which is and there's nothing wrong with that. That's a heck of a crowd for some guys that are pushing sixty years old. But they wouldn't go them foreigners name a lot of those bands back back in the day that are still touring around they don't pull in when the, the rush concert that me and you went to that's a 30,000 seat arena that is packed maybe even a couple of shows or whatever and those those other groups the REO Speedwagons the Foreigners of the World all those they're not pulling in that kind of stuff so when you say they're not popular they weren't mainstream, but they were popular enough. And, you know, even to this day, the, the, the fans that they do have are, well, fanatical. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking about the impact, like you said, mainstream. So I'm hearing people say like, oh, if you want to make it, you know, you got to be on Instagram, you got to be on Twitter. And I, I don't get those applications. I mean, I have them. I, and I've talked about this before, like I've used them and I just, I don't get the appeal because like I'd already don't like Facebook 
and we and we've talked about this before where i just i'm not a big fan of the whole you know going through constantly going through your news feed and getting into arguments with people that have different opinions than you memes it's just it's not what i'm looking for it, it can be entertaining for a while definitely but it's definitely not something that i'm trying to do for the long term and I, and i feel like these apps or the, these applications they they feed into that you know what i mean yeah it's just a different medium and it's so much easier for people to get famous now for for music because of social media and it's it's not even just the facebooks and the and the twitters and the and the instagrams and stuff it's if you have a, a big enough following uh, even from not necessarily in the field that you're in because so like um uh, I mean, I don't know. The, the the Kardashians are a really great example. I'm pretty sure all of their Instagram accounts, uh, when they're doing sponsored posts, I think I read something that was like Kim Kardashian, every time she does a post, that's a sponsored post for some sort of company that she's advertising for. It's She gets like a million dollars because of how much of an impact that she has. And she doesn't even really do anything. Like she doesn't, she hasn't made a song. So there's no movie. There's no... Um, sort of real product that you can get other than the fact that she's just has that influence on people. Yeah. Well, don't get me wrong. I I think it's absolutely ridiculous that she has that kind of cachet to, to do that. But I don't think it's in a way completely unearned either. It didn't just fall into her lap. She did some things to make that happen. Oh, and, and definitely. And, I'm and the, thing, the things that. that she did would never have influenced me or impacted me to, to do that. But for some reason, somehow she tapped into something that that was able to do that for her. It didn't just fall in her lap. And so I'll give her kudos that if she does work to make that happen. But, uh, you know, I don't, I personally don't give it a lot of credence other than, you know, the, the fact that there's a lot of people out there in the world that make a lot of money that do not work super hard to get it. They have figured, uh, they're smarter than me because they figured out how to make a lot of money without a lot of, or, and, I, and I, I don't even want to say a lot of effort. They've just figured out how to make a lot of money with less effort than it takes me to make my smaller amount of money. Yeah, it always feels like somebody has the upper hand. That they, they, they figured out how the system works and they're using it to their advantage. And it's like, you know. Yeah. You know they guys, certainly parlayed their fame. I, I mean, it's not like they, I don't think the Kim Kardashian or the Kardashians or whoever and all and the people that they are in their group with and, and the, I, you know, it's not like they came from the south side of Chicago and pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and, and did what they did. I, you know, I think they were born into a certain amount of, and I don't know this for a fact, I could go be completely wrong, but I, you know, I, my understanding is, you know, I mean, it's not, they didn't come from nothing. They had some certain advantages in their lives and then but they took them and they really really just maxed them out beyond anything that i would have ever been able to dream of doing oh yeah i mean it's the classic example of someone that wins the lottery they they get a lot of money they might take it all up front or they might get it over a course of time 
And in most cases, they don't spend it well. So it's not enough just to have a lot of money. I mean, there's a lot of aristocratic families in the United States that have a lot of money. It, It absolutely, I think, matters what you do with your uh with your money and how you how you choose to spend it or invest it which is obviously really good and definitely for those musicians that are wanting to someday get into the rock and roll hall of fame they need to know that it might not pay a lot it might it might never pay off to get in there it might be it might be a lot of a lot of long nights a lot of long road trips in the van with three or four of your best friends and you could end up not ever getting that uh, recognition but i was uh like i said i've been i've been looking forward to hearing how your trip to cleveland i'm really glad to hear that it was good and rest assured i had a blast i have no doubt that you did i'm sure you're really happy to get back to work (laughs) So I guess until next week, I'm not sure what we're going to be talking about yet, but please stay tuned as we delve deeper into our lives, I guess. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Works for me. Okay. Love you, son. Love you too, Pop. I'll see you next week. Okay. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye.